I also love that the signal is a red pig, meaning that she wants to get porked. Gross. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, listeners, domestic, international, and nomadic carnival folk. I'm Dave Reed. And I'm Kristen Riley. And this is The Rotating Cast Files. Where we watch and discuss those television shows that were canceled too soon. Today we're talking about Carnival, Season 1, Episode 7, The River. It originally aired October 26th, back in Lot 3. It was written by Tony Graffia and directed by Allison McLean. While Brother Justin rediscovers his birthright on the banks of a river... His sister Iris gets some unexpected support from a radio reporter. As if we haven't already met the radio reporter. Yeah, but we didn't expect him to support her. Oh, I see. At the carnival, Rita, Sue, and Stumpy argue over their family's future. They kind of avoid arguing over their family's (laughs) future. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Ben and Ruthie go hunting for snakes to use in her act. Samson goes to work on the valley. And Libby and Sophie see stars on the western horizon. In Russia, there's a saying... Pray to God, but row for sure. <laughs> Trust in God, but tie up your camel. That's the uh, saying in the Middle East. I see. Sounds like God's not going to help. <laughs> so I think you could just skip that first part and focus on the second part. Previously on Carnival. I want everyone to see what they did to my little girl. I'm leaving. Rawr! Have you seen my bear? God. <laughs> Don't say management. One of ours is dead. and One of theirs is going to answer for it. Click. It's the story of Brother Justin. What do you know about Henry Scudder? Thanks for the whiskey. Bang! Well, we open on Justin. No longer brother. Says you. Tommy Dolan still says brother. Yeah, but that makes it a better story. If it's just some dude who wandered away from home, nobody cares. Some guy named Justin. (laughs) Just just Justin. Anybody seen Justin? (laughs) No shade on Justins of the world, but, you know, adding brother to it does heighten the storytelling. He is disheveled, standing on what looks like the wrong side of a bridge. Zoom out, it is definitely the wrong side of the safety (laughs) rail on a bridge. A cop says something to him, and he jumps. We get a nice little montage of the Brother Justin backstory for those of us just joining the show. (laughs) You could do that back in 2003. (laughs) And when the cop says, ain't nothing happened to you. That hadn't happened to somebody else. The look Justin gives him. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. That was good. That cop is lucky. Justin doesn't remember that he has the powers that he has. (laughs) Also, I would give that look to some cop who came up and said that to me. I'd be like, fuck you. You get on this side of the bridge. It is now currently the correct side of the bridge for folks like you. We cut to the carnival. Ruthie pops out of her, I wrote tent. Does she pop out of the tent or does she have a trailer? It's her trailer. Okay. She pops out of her door is what I should have written and asks Ben if he wants to go snake hunting, which typing that makes it feel like a euphemism. (laughs) And then the story continues and I'm like, it's definitely a euphemism. Well, Ben gets lucky because at that exact moment, some random rousty just comes and grabs the giant pole that Ben's been carrying. It's really nice. Yeah. Good timing. (laughs) He's like, oh, Ruthie needs somebody. Let me grab this pole. (laughs) (laughs) More drama with the Dreyfus family. 
Oh my god, this poor family. Oh god. I remember, I think it was episode one, when you were like, they added these guys in for some levity. They, and now yeah. it's the most heartbreaking <laughs> through line of any of them. Yeah. And it started before Dorame. There was tension between Stumpy and Rita Sue before Dorame. Yeah. Yep. And it's not getting any better. Just get ready, guys. It gets worse in the next episode. <laughs> All right. So Rita Sue wants wants to make Stumpy feel better. Not euphemistically. <laughs> <laughs> At least not in the moment. I forgot to mention the incredible tension that these two had back in Babylon because that was before all of the stuff and Rita Sue was trying to get his attention and yeah. flirting with him and Stumpy was ignoring her. Yep. Oh, it, was, it gutted me the whole time I was watching that. And it's happening still. I literally thought about it for days. Anyway, Libby walks by, blonde now, and Rita Sue says no, but Stumpy sides with his daughter. And also, it's done. Yeah, I mean, when you bleach your hair, <laughs> yeah, it is done. Also, also, I am so bad at spotting wigs. Is this a wig? Oh, I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. Oh. I'm going to say yes. Otherwise, they're destroying her hair. Yeah, I really have no idea. I'm, I'm also bad at spotting wigs. I would, I would say yes. They also lightened her eyebrows. Oh, did they? Mm-hmm. Well done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is... Probably not what would have happened if you bleached your hair. Where did she do this? How do you have access to enough water to rinse out bleach? Somewhere. So bleaching your hair requires so much water. And you have to get all of the bleach out or else it will just continue to fry your hair. And then your hair will fall out. Maybe Blondex from 1934 is a set it and forget it type thing. It can't be. <laughs> if you forget it, your scalp will burn and your hair will fall out. <laughs> I can't imagine it's better than the products we have access to now. <laughs> Literally a hundred years later. <laughs> oh, yikes. Rita Sue leaves in a huff. Whatever fault Stumpy has, he's a good dad. He asks Libby what would make her happy. And when she mentions leaving, he tells her and us... Some of the working guys took off last night, finally. They've only been threatening to leave since we got to Texas. Was it Curly and Jasper, I think? I think so. He tells her that she could do that too. It's an important moment because Libby needs to get permission that she probably wouldn't have acknowledged that she needed the permission, but she does. Because she also needs the help. Yes, but I don't know that she recognizes it. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that Libby is fully aware of just how dependent she is <laughs> probably not Pro most people aren't especially when they're what 18 yeah <laughs> imagine growing up in your family business it's probably impossible to do more than dream about leaving right especially when your family business is your family's livelihood yeah you are partly responsible for whether or not your family gets to eat yes and then layer on top of that a death in the family it's a lot but he is telling her that she can go. And in this moment, we all believe that Stumpy believes what he's telling her. We're going to get out of here. Yep. I don't know what she says. I have a, So I, you can cut this part out. But I have a comment that says, Then she shows how little she knows about the rest of the world. But Stumpy doesn't discourage her. Stumpy is the dad we she's, all need in this moment. She's going to be in the picture shows. That's right. And he's like, you sure will, baby girl. Yep. 
It's going to be so easy literally, to become a movie star. Literally, all you have to do to be a movie star is go to Hollywood. You just have to get there. And once you're there... Yeah, going there is half the battle. That's it. Most of the battle. Go, going there is all of the battle as far as 100% everyone... 100% of the well, battle. <laughs> as far as everyone who dreams of making it big in Hollywood believes, just arriving is the battle. You just got to get to Hollywood and say hi to Thelma Todd. Uh, yes. Back in California, Iris cleans Justin's room... Mostly by smelling his whip. I mean, who doesn't love the smell of leather? I don't think I love the smell of leather. Oh, I should stop wearing all the leather then? Look, I don't want to... Head wanna, to toe? I don't want to harsh your style. I don't know any of the words. <laughs> I know harsh is not one of the words now, but I don't know what any of the words are. Look, man, you do you. If you want to wear a fully leather getup in, in Florida, in this economy, it's up to you. <laughs> It is really funny when she gets caught. Yeah. (laughs) Tommy Dolan has arrived. Iris isn't exactly starstruck. When Iris asks how Justin was, because Tommy says, I was the last human person in the entire universe to see Brother Justin alive. Which kind of implies that he's not anymore. It really does. It implies that something terrible has happened. And we're like, you don't see the future. (laughs) You don't know what's currently happening. He knows what would make a good story, though. Yes, he does. It's the last part. Well, what happened to him? Ugh. Dolan tells her that he's looking healthy, could use a bath, and that they were, that he was in good spirits, which is also a lie. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And also that they were passing around a bottle. Yes. When Iris says Justin doesn't drink, Dolan smartly defers. I could have gotten that detail wrong. Yeah, I think he did get that detail wrong because Justin was not passing the bottle around. He was bogarting that bottle. <laughs> it is true. He was not sharing no. even a little bit. Apparently, when you lose your faith in God, you also lose your faith in sharing is caring. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're allowed to have a couple of days of grief. Okay. And you don't have to share when you're grieving. No. Oh. But if it lasts for more than a couple of days, then you're just grieving wrong. <laughs> then you're just a Bogart. <laughs> then we'll get back to the grieving wrong later. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like Tommy Dolan in this moment because I'm very hot and cold on this guy. No, uh, I'm very lukewarm and cold on this guy. Oh, really? Yeah. So in this moment, I really like him. I do love everyone's facial acting. And I know we've brought it up before, but this is another actor who does it. He's real good. He is. His, I like him throughout this episode. I have a lot more to say on him in his next scene. Okay. While he's there, a lot of mail is flooding in. He asks to see it. Iris objects, but here he ignores her, opening a letter with a $5 bill in it. He calls it a sawbuck, but a sawbuck is a tenor. Oh, is it? Yes. I've always thought it was a fiver. Nope. Apparently, according to IMDb trivia. Wow. Wow. Yep. I wonder if I thought that because of this show, though. Probably. It's definitely possible. I mean, you saw this 20 20 years years ago. (laughs) And back when I was like four. (laughs) (laughs) You aren't fooling anybody. Side note, I love the generosity of people after a tragedy. Oh, yeah. It's always after. The children are dead. The orphanage is destroyed. And Justin has gone rogue or whichever book of the gospel we were, we were at when he went into the wilderness. I don't know what the correct term is. Has he gone on a mission or walkabout? I don't know if he's gone rogue or something else, but 
What are people funding beyond the feeling that they're helping? Which is fine, but I'm very curious. I think that's exactly what they're funding. And if the money actually goes to a good cause, then good. But not sure how many people are doing more than making themselves feel better. Right, because I guess the story out there is the orphanage is burned. So people are probably thinking that they are funding for the rebuilding of the orphanage. Right. There's not going to be any follow-up. No. But, I mean, we don't do that today, and we have Google. And we can we have a lot more means yeah. to follow up today than we did back then, and we're still not doing it. So, all right. Anyway, Iris and Dolan talk for a bit. He suggests the money they're receiving could build a new church, but he also knows the troubles in Minturn are bigger than money. Iris asks, what's in it for him? A story. More listeners. And more money for a lowly sinner like me. He's humbling himself. In front yeah. Of <laughs> Can't you tell by the way he's standing up very tall <laughs> and straight with bright white teeth and might as well be winking at her? <laughs> more money for me only and also you? <laughs> I think you need church, Mr. Dolan. I'd be happy to go anywhere you'd like to take me, Miss Crow. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I love that he's being such a cad right now. Oh, yeah. Now we cut to Justin, washed ashore. Ooh, that leg's going to need some Neosporin. At first I thought the bamboo or the trunk was supposed to be through his leg. Oh, good lord. (laughs) Not that, but yes, it's it's pretty bad. However, no facial bruising. It's a good job. He He somehow landed perfectly to only injure his leg. Yep. And get washed ashore face up while he was passed out so he didn't drown while he was Also nice. God will provide. (laughs) He passes out after looking at his leg. And does he see the two children now or does he see them after? I I think he sees them now. I'm not sure. But these kids are straight out of the witch. The (laughs) Vavitch. When he comes to, again, he calls for their help. He asks where their mother is, and their mother is dead. He asks for their father, and their father is an evil man. Father is shit evil man! But boy, is that male-presenting child adorable. (laughs) (laughs) He had such a little round face. He was so cute. (laughs) I actually wrote, look at his little round face with three exclamation points. (laughs) Now we're back to Ruthie and Ben in Texas, looking for snakes. Kind of. They're mainly just strolling. Something about watching a woman and a snake makes a man percolate. Oh, yeah, because Ben's like, why would anybody want to see that? And she's like, oh, boy. (laughs) Wow. (sighs) She also gets it wrong, though. She says it probably goes back to the Garden of Eden and the snake. No, not at all. It goes back to From Dusk Till Dawn and Salma Hayek. That's in the future. Yeah, that's forever. (laughs) Salma Hayek and that snake is forever. I see. That's where you think it goes. Yes. Okay. All right. He says that he knows about the scripture because his mama used to read it every day. And Ruthie says she has this Bible if he'd like to take it back up. He's like, no, thanks. (laughs) Pass. Hard pass. (laughs) Ruthie is wearing a beautiful skirt with snakeskin print between the plain panels. And I am adoring it. It is such a cute. It's a peasant type skirt. It's very long and flowy. So it looks super comfortable. And it has snake pattern gorgeous. She's retelling a story where she mistook a cotton mouth for a plain belly, which I don't know what a plain belly is supposed to be, but I do know what a cotton mouth is. 
and was bitten, and Scudder pulled her through the night by sitting with her. She tries to touch Ben's face, and he pulls back. She says, he's done this before. He doesn't like being touched, does he? Oh, when I watched this the first time and I was writing my notes, I was I was having a couple of very emotional days back to back. And when he says there wasn't a lot of touching in my family, I got all teary. Because, dude, that sucks. That is not a good way to grow up. She slowly touches his face again, which is kind of like, I guess no one has boundaries, so. <laughs> boundaries weren't invented until 1986. <laughs> The whole vibe changes when she rubs her thumb across his lip. Yes, it does. So I stopped feeling teary at that point. (laughs) (laughs) It was just like, ah, vibe change, man. Back at the carnival, we see Rita Sue and Stumpy. Apparently Stumpy is thinking he can follow Libby to Hollywood and they can all make it. He wants out too, which makes sense. Rita Sue is being more pragmatic. If they leave their current profession without something else lined up, they're screwed. They'll end up in the breadline. And honestly, Rita Sue is the only one who's making any sense here. Well, she is definitely right that it's a bad idea to go without a plan or something lined up. But this is not the first time that they've mentioned the breadline. Rita Sue definitely has deep fears about the breadline. Yeah. So there is something, I think, when she was a child, her family was in the breadline. And there's definitely like a, she needs to go see the carnival therapist. (laughs) Everyone does. Oh, my God. (laughs) Booked out for months at this point. Yes. But also, she isn't wrong because of all of the times they could have possibly left the carnival, during the Great Depression, ain't it. (laughs) They do have a box of money. They do have a box of money, which is interesting, which is probably why they have been able to not do shows for the last two weeks. Yeah. No one else would be able to do that. Yeah. Also, I think Samson probably gave them a a large leeway of I, I not would ass- having to pay their own way. I would assume so. But at some point, there's not going to be an, yeah. any any availability for that line to be extended. But yes, I think that they've been with Samson long enough. And obviously, it was incredibly tragic. And <laughs> everyone is feeling a little bit responsible. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. I don't think that they've they would have had to be up dancing the next night. But we don't know how long the runway is. And Rita Sue is making sure that she's ahead of it at every step, which is a lot of pressure. It sure is. Rita Sue says there will be a show tonight. She needs Stumpy, but he's not ready to face... He's not ready to face anything yet. Rita Sue leaves. This is hard because she has to be the bad guy for a lot of reasons, even though she's more right than anyone else. She also, I think I mentioned this later in my notes, but I'll just mention it now. She's throwing herself into her work. And we often see that in our society when men throw themselves into their work after a tragedy or a huge life change. And everybody's like, look at that. Look at, <laughs> look at him. Look at him go. No one's feeling that way about Rita Sue. Samson is. No one outside externally is feeling that <laughs> way about Rita Sue. They're setting it up and they're, flip, they're really flipping the script to what you would normally expect. They do not push boundaries on other expectations, though. Mm, I see. We'll get to that. Cut to Libby and Sophie talking. Libby mentions Thelma Todd, an actress who owns a shop and lives above it. Ready for some foreshadowing? Oh, sure. I looked up Thelma Todd. She was an American actress and businesswoman who carried the nicknames The Ice Cream Blonde and Hot Toddy. 
appearing in about 120 feature films and oh shorts between 1926 and 1935. That's nine years. Yeah. That's so many. It's so many. She did so much work and she still had to own a shop, own and run a shop. Think about that. Well, she owned the shop. She lived above it. She probably ran it. I don't see how she could. <laughs> because she's too busy. Yeah. She did 120 movies and shorts. It's wild. Her death, the reason that she stopped in 1935. I see. Is her death. She died. On the morning of Monday, December 16th, 1935, Todd was found dead wearing a mauve and silver gown, mink wrap, and expensive jewelry in her chocolate-covered 1934 Lincoln Phaeton convertible inside the garage of Jewel Carmen, a former actress and former wife of Todd's lover and business partner, Roland West. Yeah. Carmen's house was approximately a block from the topmost side of Todd's restaurant. Her death was determined to have been caused by carbon monoxide poisoning. West is quoted in a contemporaneous newspaper account as having knocked her out, locked her out, which may have caused her to seek refuge and warmth in the car. Todd had a wide circle of friends and associates and a busy social life. LAPD detectives concluded that Todd's death was accidental, the result of her either warming up the car to drive it or using the heater to keep herself warm. It's also the same kind of car that Norman bought. Oh, is it? Yeah. So now I'm wondering if Norman had something to do with it. <laughs> you, think, you think there's one car? <laughs> there's one Phaeton. In, um, in California. I guess they were in California. I love how they're like, and the uh, former wife of this guy that she was seeing, who is well known and well connected, <laughs> was, you know... Not really questioned by the LAPD. I mean, yeah. Notorious for doing... Doing great job. Doing some sort of job. My God. All right. Libby isn't completely naive, though. She understands it's a gamble. After telling Sophie they are leaving tomorrow, she asks for a card reading. She also says that she has an in with Thelma Todd. She's got what they call an icebreaker. Oh, yes. I'm glad that that is a word and concept that stuck around for a hundred years. Me too. She shares a birthday with Thelma Todd. Yes. I share a birthday with Angelina Jolie and Tori Amos and Lane Staley. So that's going to be your icebreaker? Yep. Great. Even though one of those guys is dead. Well, in hell then? Oh, wow. (laughs) Who do you share a birthday with? I have no idea. No idea? No. Wow. Okay. (laughs) It has never been important. Wow. Libby says it would be nice to know the future. Sophie tells her to bring two bits and Mama won't be able to turn her away. She'll even loan the two bits. Because Libby's like, I would like to know that this is going to work before we go. But also I know your mom hates me. So how do we do this? Uh, You got to pay for it. If you bring two bits, she can't say no. Uh, You share a birthday with John Hancock. The signature guy? The signature guy, exactly. (laughs) That's all he's known for. Yeah, we should all start saying, uh, I'm going to put my Kristen Riley on it. Don't. John Hancock sounds just like the most pretentious person. Why is that? Why would you sign your signature so large? He was the first person to sign it. That's why. He was like, I've got all of this space. Yeah, he didn't know how big he should write it. Like, that's the story is he's like, oh, they're going to see my name first. And the real reality is he signed it first and everyone else had to move around it. And it's like, okay, we don't have enough space. So his ended up being the largest. So he's an idiot? <laughs> Shocking. 
<laughs> don't know that that makes anybody an idiot. He could look around the room and be like, there's about four dozen of us in here. We should probably, and we all have this amount of space. <laughs> okay. I don't know if you know, but the founding fathers, not great people. <laughs> what? You also share a birthday with Mariska Hargitay, Tiffany Amber Thiessen, and XXX Tentacion. Oh, he's dead. Yeah, he's hanging out with Lane Staley. I see. He's dead and probably a murderer. <laughs> How far away do you think Sophie has to be for her mom not to be in her head? That is such a good question that I've never thought of before. Really? Yes. Because <laughs> if she's right outside at the trailer, or even 20 feet outside the trailer... Her mom's at her head. Let's assume that they set up the circus, the carnival, the same way every time. Let's just make that our given. Okay. Because otherwise it's going to be way too complicated. <laughs> at the chow tables, her mom can call her. Right. You can see the trailer from the chow tables. Or at least you could in that one scene. I'm going to say probably anywhere in the carnival. So her mom would be able to be in her head right now. Yeah. Hmm, yeah. Probably if she wants. I don't know if she wants to all the time, though. I do. I think she does. How yeah. bored do you think she would be? I mean, incredibly. But do you think she could get in other people's heads? I don't know. I would... Mm. I don't know. They might have a connection. No, because Lodes can talk to her. Yeah. Well, Lodes is also magic. But he's only, like, kind of magic. Think... Which is why he's so mad about it. <laughs> he's not as magic as he wants to be. Yeah. Which is why he wants an apprentice. Right. Live vicariously through the <laughs> most annoying man of all time. Oh, Lodes and Ben are the most annoying men of all time. <laughs> They're just annoying in different ways. Lodes doesn't annoy me at all. Oh my god. Lodes, I would not want to be around him for very long. I was going to say at all, but that's not true. I would want to be at a different table and like overhear some of his... So like him and Lila do to other people. Yes, that's what I want to do. Yeah. I don't know if I'd like Lila either, though. <gasps> Lila's such a messy bitch. I she love her. is a messy bitch. I think I would like Lila sometimes because she's such a messy bitch that I would want, I would only like her if I knew I was on her good side. Yeah, if or, you're not the target of the messiness. Yeah. It's like how people say, oh, I just don't like drama. Fuck that. I love drama. Everybody likes drama. This is not happening to me. No one wants to be the, well, not no one. Loads <laughs> wants to be the middle of it. Yes. But there are, Definitely people who want to be on the outside of it looking in, which is most of us. Yeah. Okay. But back to how bad of a fucking idea it is for Libby to have her cards read. Good Lord. Don't do that. So, yes. However, Libby is living in her own world. Part of it is because she's never lived anywhere else. Uh-huh. Part of it is because she's grieving and this feels like the easiest thing to be excited about. Yeah. In a long time, probably. Something to look forward to. So I understand why she's getting carried away and thinks that this is great. And then there's this part of her that's like, I know it's, I know it's going to be hard. I know it's, I don't know how it's going to be hard, but I know that in theory it's going to be hard. And wouldn't it be great to know ahead of time that even if it sucks, kind of, even if the drive out there is really long and sucks, I know <laughs> once I get there that everything's going to be good. Yeah. She basically wants confirmation that all of her excitement is coming true. Yes. Which... That I already think is a bad idea. It is, but I understand where she's coming from. Because she doesn't know it's a bad idea. Apollonia has already told Sophie that Libby is going to dance the cooch for the rest of her I life. I know. It's not on... I'm, 
I'm not surprised that Libby thinks this is a good idea because it makes sense in her logic. It makes sense to have confirmation. Sophie's being a bad friend here because she knows Libby's dancing the cooch for the rest of her life. Now, this goes back to when Stumpy was talking to Libby and saying, baby girl, we can get you out to Hollywood and you're going to be amazing because he believed it. Right. Sophie is being a bad friend because she knows better. Yeah. And this is a really interesting juxtaposition between these two because they're both trying to help Libby and neither one of them are doing it. Right. But they're coming from different different angles. Oh, Sophie, you're being a bad friend. Apparently Ben paints now. Yeah. Like artistically. I wonder if he picked that up in prison on the chain gang. Maybe. The I doubt it. Chain gang of painters. Artistic painting? Yep. I could see painting, you know, the broad side of a fence, but painting the delicate details of a banner? All right. Ben contains multitudes. He does. And none of them are very deep. One of them is he's the most easily manipulated person on the planet. He really needs to grow up. He needs to grow emotionally. It's going to be a long two seasons. <laughs> uh, Lila spies Ben painting the banner. And as Lodes and Lila are walking by. And they decide to go rile Ben up by slut-shaming Ruthie. Did you know that Ruthie has had sex before? <laughs> what? <gasps> ben, an idiot, confronts Ruthie. <laughs> and Ruthie isn't taking his shit. I hate this scene. Ben gets the best of Gabe, which is also stupid. And Gabe, Ben gets the best of Gabe in the least likely series of unfortunate events. One of the events is Ruthie said to put him down. So Gabe put him down and Ben immediately kicked him in the balls. Yeah. I I hate this whole. Yeah. I hate all of it. Yeah. From the moment Lodes and Lila walk around the corner to the moment we see Gabe's bone sticking out of his arm. I hate this whole scene. Get thicker skin, Ben. Oh my god. And no one that something isn't your fucking business. He's in Ruthie's face saying, you've lied to me all this time. Which is such a wild thing to say. Lie? What? How? Exactly. What are you on, Ben? You didn't give me a list of every man you've ever touched. <laughs> From before I was born till now. Was he high on those paint fumes? He must have been. My God, Ben. What an idiot. Ugh. So Gabe's arm, the strong man's arm is broken. That's rough. Ben has shown his whole ass. <laughs> He's... And Ruthie's pissed. And his whole now scrawny ass. <laughs> his whole narrow ass. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. And Lodes and Lila are just like, who knows? I don't I don't even know if they feel anything about the destruction they've just wrought. Yeah. They don't really ever talk about it again. They just kind of fuck off. Yeah. Until later when it comes up and then it's a whole other thing. Oh my god. However, back in Minturn, Dolan drags Val over the coals. Okay. We have to set up this scene. So back in Minturn, Tommy Dolan is interviewing Val Templeton. Templeton, because he's he's the other Templeton, Carol's uncle. That's it. And apparently they're in somebody's living room because he's got the mic set up. They're definitely not in the radio station, right? And I thought it was Val's living room, but then in a little bit he says he has to go do. I have to go. I know, (laughs) and it's like I have to leave my own living room, which is. 
I left my iron in the oven. <laughs> um, so in the previous scene, Tommy Dolan had said to Iris that a politician doesn't like anything worse than a, than a reporter or some, yeah. something along those lines. So now we're seeing Dolan talking to Val. Val's it, running for something. He's on city council. That's it. It is so hard for me to not like Tommy Dolan. You say you're lukewarm and cold on him. I just really dig him. He is slimy in the best way. He's got real Eddie Haskell energy. Who's Eddie Haskell? Eddie Haskell from Leave it to Beaver. That is a timely reference, Kristen. <laughs> Leave it to Beaver was gone before I was born. <laughs> me too. You always come up with these old references of TV shows like I would have seen them for some reason. I'm actually 87 years old. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That makes you what, the silent generation? What generation is that? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Or is it the, it's not the greatest, is it? I think it's the silent. I can't remember. I think greatest which... is before the silent. I can't... Yeah, greatest is before the silent because greatest was World War uh, one. Okay. That's why they were great. Because that was the war to end all wars. There was no more wars after that. Wow. That is great. That's yeah. really good news. That's why we call them the greatest generation. Wow. And then the silent generation was after that because... They couldn't talk about all the wars that were still happening? When you are the children of the greatest, you just got to shut the fuck up. Yep. You got to be seen and not heard. Yep. And then that's why their children were boomers because they were always exploding everything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Because their parents were so quiet, they needed noise. That makes sense. All right. And then... And then we just got into letters. And then yeah, then Generation X because uh, movies. Was it... We liked porn. Did we... <laughs> did we get into the letters because they're like, we're running out of time. So we have to just... We're the, at the end of the alphabet. We've got X, Y, and Z, and that's it. <laughs> well, they called us Generation X because we didn't really have an identity. Because the, there were no more wars. Because, yeah, no more wars. And everything was already blown up? Our great-grandparents finished the wars, so. And then your parents blew, blew everything up, up everything else. <laughs> All of the war stuff. I see. Huh. Well, you, you learn something new every day. And then they called you guys millennials because it was still 20 years away from the millennium? Yep. Makes perfect sense. They to were me. like, if I squint, I can see the millennium. <laughs> And then there's the Zoomers, because, because, and then we're circling back around, and apparently the latest generation is Alpha. Yeah. And they're going to just run us all over. We better all start making headlines about how they're destroying things. Yeah, but then their kids are going to all be betas. <laughs> I wonder if they're going to change that and make it be something else. Generation Alpha is such a fucking weird thing. Like, they're the first people ever. What a... All right. Yeah, whatever. You just started with the greatest generation in this. Yeah. And you think Alpha is the weirdest one? Yes, because they were the greatest. They did the last war. <laughs> You're right. I don't know why I can't hold on to this information. <laughs> right, really? It's because you grew up with no war. It's true. I have the concept of war is so foreign. <laughs> war in hard times. Don't know. I don't know her. Never heard of them. <laughs> I only read them in those little sidebars in your history book, you know, where they'd have that little tiny paragraph of the most interesting person that was in any of your books. Yeah. And you're like, why aren't we reading more about this person? They're like, we can't. They are a person of color. Friends. friends. <laughs> and you're like, that is the most interesting person we've heard of. 
No, we have to talk about George Washington again. Malcolm X was a guy once. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. But wait. <laughs> oh, man. So glad there's no war. Um, so they are... Back back to the political talk. Oh, back to Carnival, the thing we're supposed to be talking about. Well, we're still talking to Val. <laughs> yes. Who, by the way, I can't remember the actor's name, because to me, he's always going to be Otho. But he is also fantastic in this scene. Yes. Go ahead and describe the scene, because you said you loved this scene, and I wrote one sentence on this oh, scene. So. so they're face-to-face talking into the microphones, and Dolan is just, he's steering Val mm. everywhere he wants him to go. Because <laughs> Val tries to get out of it as soon as he mentions the ministry. Dolan says, so how's the arson investigation going? Investigation? <laughs> I love it. Because I think what he says is something like, well, everybody's very interested in what's going on with the, I can't remember what the ministry's name is. Dignity ministry. That's it. Dignity ministry. And Val's like, dignity ministry? And he's like, yes, everyone's interested in the dignity ministry. <laughs> In case anyone is listening but needs to turn up their radio, we are talking about the Dignity Ministry. That burned down in your district. Yes. I'm sure you'll be contributing to the funds. Contributing? (laughs) Anything more than $3,000. It was a beautiful thing. Yes. That's why I loved it so much. Dolan is so slimy. In the best way. Yeah, I really, really like this because he isn't giving it away. His facial motions and he, because he's, he's very solid. Yes, yeah. of course, of course we're talking about this. And then as he nails Val to the $3,000 or more, uh-huh. the interview comes to an end. R- he just smiles yeah, at before him. Before Val can say anything else, he just says, bless you, Val. Yes, it's And the so smile. The, it's a Cheshire smile. It is a Cheshire smile. Cheshire? It's like the Cheshire cat. Cheshire. Worcestershire. Cheshire. Worcestershire. No. You say it Cheshire? Cheshire? Mm-mm. Well, you're a cat. A Cheshire cat. Hate that. <laughs> Hate how that feels in my mouth. <laughs> no. <sighs> okay. Back wherever Justin washed up on shore, the girl has returned and says her father told her Justin is a bad man. Which is interesting, because you just said your dad was evil, so... You came here to kill us! Yes. Whatever is happening here, the girl is positive that Justin is bringing assassins, which is a big shift, because, dude, I just washed up on shore. (laughs) Why would I be bringing assassins? Look at my leg. Where did I get assassins? (laughs) Before I realized what any of this was, I I just wrote, what is any of this? (laughs) (laughs) I wrote, the river stuff is so confusing. Uh, She sees folks through the woods in the dark with torches and smashes Justin in the head with a large stone. And I'm like, well, whatever she thinks this is, she's not letting it happen. She's not afraid to do something about it. So, all right. Faith and action, Kristen. Yes. Faith and action. Honestly, where was this girl when we were in Babylon? We needed this kind of energy. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're where? These men are fucking creepy. I'm going to hit them with rocks and leave. <laughs> Cut back to the carnival. Wherever we are now, it's two weeks post-Babylon. I don't know if we know at this point. Somewhere in Texas still. Yeah, we're in Texas because the next episode is called Somewhere Else in Texas. Sophie is reading Libby's cards. Sophie is lying to yes. Libby about what the cards are saying. So the first card she pulls, she's doing the three card draw again. The first card she pulls is the fool. But she says that's fine. 
The second card she pulls is the chariot, but it's upside down. And then she says, oh, I just dealt it wrong. It's fine. Yeah. Sophie has never lied to anybody about the cards before. No, she has withheld information, but she's not made up anything. Because we talked about this in another episode. Where I was like, why doesn't she just say something? And I think it's to make this more poignant. Never lied before. No, because she will just say the cards are unclear when she doesn't want to give bad, bad news. But she, she is in such denial. She is lying. And the interesting thing is they never pull a third card. Yes, I wrote that down too. So the three card draw is the past, the present, and the future. Uh-huh. I want to know what the future card uh-huh. is. I wonder. Especially after knowing a little bit of Thelma Todd's end. Uh-huh. And I imagine that the writers knew that by putting Thelma Todd's name in here and aligning the car. Yeah. And in California. Yeah. I don't know that Norman specifically had something to do with it, but I don't know that Norman didn't have something to do with it. You never can tell. (laughs) But those details, I don't know how many kinds of cars there were in 1935, but those having those details and it being a convertible specifically. Yeah. All of this is lining up a little bit too nicely. I really want to know what that future card was. Libby just gets up and leaves. Yep. Don't need to know the future. Isn't that why you came here, Libby? The present is I ain't going nowhere. Yeah. In a different trailer, Samson and Rita Sue talk. Apparently, she's been performing for two hours by herself. Woof. So long. In heels? Yeah. Yeah. In the Texas heat, I don't know what temperature it is out there, but it's got to be the Texas heat. My God, two hours. Rita Sue asks if if Samson saw Felix and (laughs) Samson knows that he wasn't there, but he's like, I couldn't see him. There are too many paying customers. Yep. We're so busy. Yep. He says Stumpy probably has her lined up solid tonight. And he also tells her that she saved the night by putting on the show. She tells him that she and Stumpy still need some time, so she's not seeing any gentleman callers for the for the time being. After Samson leaves, she changes into fresh lingerie and sets out a token that indicates she has company or wants company. I like this. I like this little... Yeah. It was cute. Did you hear the song that she was playing, though? Mm-mm. My note is just a sad face. Oh, no. What was the song? I don't remember the name of it, but I remember some of the lyrics were... I want a hot dog for my roll. Yeah. Yeah. She's been trying to have sex with Stumpy for months now. It's, uh, that song's not going to get anybody in the mood. (laughs) Oh, yikes. I also love that the signal is a red pig, meaning that she wants to get porked. Gross. (laughs) I think it's hilarious. (laughs) I think it's so funny. It probably didn't start out that way, but because... (laughs) of what it means and Libby's being just a snot. It's so funny. So Libby goes to find somewhere else to to stay for the evening because the the signal is set outside their tent. And apparently when she, so she goes to find Sophie and asks Sophie if she can hang out with her because Sophie's not sleeping in her trailer either. She's sleeping in the back of a pickup truck? Yeah. I guess that's where she sleeps? I feel like she would probably sleep in her trailer most of the time. I guess not. I guess she doesn't want to sleep in there with her mom. I mean, Libby sleeps in that tent with... Yeah. I think there's something else going on. I think it's probably not a usual thing. I think I think Sophie is still throwing a fit. Okay. So they crawl in into bed together and chat a little bit. So that's how 
we find out that the red pig is the signal for getting port. We also find out that it's out again. So we know Rita Sue has been setting this out Repeatedly. a lot. Yeah. And we also know that Stumpy has been ignoring her, but nobody else knows because everybody else thinks that everybody else thinks that they're grieving together, I think. Yeah. Or consoling each other or whatever. That's not happening. I do love also that this is a fun sex positive way of talking about this because Libby's just like, yeah, my, my goddamn parents <laughs> yeah. are having sex again, so I have to sleep somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> but it's more of a, this is inconvenient, ugh, as opposed to, oh, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> so I, I like that. It was just, it was very cute. Stumpy, however, when he arrives... He comes back to the trailer, he sees the red pig, and Rita Sue inside is getting ready for him. She's been waiting for a while, yep. and she sees his shadow, and she's she's prepping. And he sees the pig and turns away. And you can see, we see this shot from inside the tent, where we see Rita Sue's face and Stumpy's shadow, and it is heartbreaking. It's pretty rough. It's so bad. Oh, I hate this. I, I wanted them to love each other. <laughs> so many episodes of that not being the case yeah oh this does lead to a cute interaction between stumpy and jonesy yeah jonesy needed something to do this episode this yeah. is his only scene i know stumpy climbs on the ferris wheel and then couldn't get down <laughs> which is hilarious yeah it is so jonesy helps him jonesy is the worst help he just grabs him by the hand and then lets him fall a jonesy I feel like Jonesy is either a great help or no help at all. <laughs> it's one or the other. There's like no middle ground. <laughs> you either want him on your team or you want him to not be in this episode. <laughs> yeah. I have not seen anything to suggest otherwise. So right. I think your observations are acute. <laughs> as soon as Jonesy, quote unquote, helps him down, they start talking about the awful alcohol that they're drinking. And Stumpy tells Jonesy that no matter where he looks, he sees his little girl. It is fucking heartbreaking. Very, very sad. Yeah. Now we go to Ruthie's trailer. Her son is being patched up and her livelihood, her, her son and her livelihood have negatively been impacted by Ben, by his overinflated sense of self. So of course he has to come and be in her face again. Yes. You were right. No shit. Yeah. He apologizes, and she says it means less than nothing. Yeah, good for her. Yeah. Pretty much everything Ruthie does is good for her. I'm proud of her. Oh, Ruthie is... The most self-actualized person I've ever seen on television. <laughs> Ruthie doesn't need your approval. Yes, is she does. how solid of a human <laughs> yeah. being... Yeah, is how good Ruthie is at being a person. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, she is... Maybe this is where she wanted to go. Maybe it isn't. But she is making the best of the life that she's living. And she's not answering to anyone. Especially not someone like Ben. 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 Now we cut to back to California. Mr. Dolan is hanging out with Iris. They are listening to Val's interview on a record? They made a record of the interview and I love that. They're both playing each other in this scene, which I also love. Yeah, it's good. We saw during the interview, I didn't mention this, that Iris was listening live, but she is sitting here pretending that this is the first time that she's hearing it. 
It is an exceptionally different vibe than between Ruthie and Ben or Rita Sue and Stumpy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. When they're sitting there, what does Dolan say? He says something like, you're probably more complicated than whatever. No, I'm very simple. And then she decides to tell him the most complicated story. <laughs> Iris brings up a story about two children, the children Justin saw. It turns out the cute little boy is Justin, but I don't know... If we're supposed to know that at this point, it's hard to tell. I don't think until the very end. Well, it was very obvious. Uh, not the very, very end, but the end of Justin. Like I, when he's still on the bridge. I think that's when we're supposed to figure it out. I figured it out. Like, I didn't even remember this. So I'm just listening to And I'm like, oh, okay. I got what's going on. I can't remember if she's called him Alexi before. I feel like she has. I think she has once or twice. And then... They start calling each other by their Russian names more going forward now that this is the reveal. Mm -hmm. But I feel like she has. I think when she was calling him. I feel like she has to. And it was one of those things where you don't, it doesn't really click because you're just like, okay. Oh, he has another name. I know who she's talking about. So I'm only half paying attention. I'm only half absorbing what's happening because I understand what's happening. Ah, but I don't understand what's happening. Interesting. (laughs) The fierce little girl is Iris. Surprise, surprise. So we cut back to Justin being hyper-masculine to his little self. This is an interesting way that they shoot this because we were with Iris and Dolan, and now we are with Justin in his, I guess, vision? I'm not really sure. Whatever he's living through right now. He tells his little self that your sister has been... I, Justin doesn't know what's happening yet. So he's, your sister has been really, really awful and you have to be the man of the family. And this kid's like seven. And I know that there are people who would go this path when they need help and be like, everyone's going to be in so much trouble. I'm going to tell on you. <laughs> yeah. But I will say that you were the You're good one. good boy. And I know that that could work in some scenarios, but man, that would not be my tactic. Mm-hmm. What would your tactic be? I would be like, look, I'm not here to hurt anybody. I understand that... You're scared. I understand your sister's trying to protect you. I understand why she's doing what she's doing. I'm not here to hurt you. What I do need is to get away from the edge of this water. He's tried that already, though. Well, you know what? I think I would have been better at it. Oh, okay. Well, I guess he deserves this then. Well, kind of. I was joking. Well, as this progresses, he kind of does deserve to be reliving or living this specific scenario. I think... As it progresses, he's less and less him. I think he's more and more him. You think he's whoever... Yes. I think he's who they actually found washed up in the shore. Hmm, interesting. Will we ever find out? Who knows? As all of this is happening, so Justin is... Justin, as we know it, is yelling at the little boy. And then when little Iris shows up, he grabs her and starts strangling her. And then little Justin uses his mental powers to CGI big Justin's neck all the way around. It's a real bad effect. And it's a real weird choice. Yeah. Because when has he ever had telekinetic powers before? Apparently when he was seven. And when has Ben had telekinetic powers before? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like they could have done a thing where he looks at him real intensely and the dude has like a heart attack or something. I would have liked that better, actually. And they would have... I think it would have looked better. It definitely would have looked better. Whatever. So we know that little Justin has snapped somebody's neck. Then we cut back to the 
opening scene where apparently everyone in the entire town has gathered to see Justin on the wrong side of the bridge. They're like, have you ever considered being on the wrong side of the safety railing? Because look at this. There's a guy over there. He's on the wrong side. We all have to look. I think it's a, hey, you want to go watch a guy die? I also do too. I was... In the 30s, it's like, you don't really have TV. You don't, not even really. You don't have TV. There's no Xbox. <laughs> so the only entertainment you can think of is to watch somebody stand on the wrong side of the hey, bridge? Hey, somebody's going to go jump off that bridge. Oh, really? All right, let's go look at it. Something happens. There's like a pause in time. And then the people on the right side of the safety railing grab Justin from the wrong side of the safety railing and pull him back onto the bridge. He comes to the realization that that little boy was him. And he's like, I killed a guy. Yes, that's right. It's my birthright. Right. It's my birthright. As I was writing notes on this scene, I paused it and I said, we still have 10 minutes left in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) It feels like so much has happened. Yeah. So Iris explains that they were, does she explain? Whatever. Iris explains how they were Russian children being hunted and retells the line from up top about how you should pray to God, but row for sure. She says that she has lived her life with faith and action. And that seems to be more reasonable than most. (laughs) I am passing judgment because I don't have to pretend to be better than I am. (laughs) We cut to the carnival. Stumpy is hungover and Rita Sue is angry. She tosses him a notebook and pen and tells him to write up an ad for a new cooch girl. He's really confused about all of this because she came out of nowhere with a directive. She tells him that they need another dancer because even when Libby is up for dancing, their whole show has three dancers. And we're not going to find anybody in any of these cow towns. Yep. My question is, wouldn't it be easier to find somebody in these cow towns? I don't know. It's the depression. Everybody's desperate. Yeah. You give somebody a chance at a somewhat better life. I think they're going to take it. And I think you'd have to pay them a lot less than putting an ad out for a professional. I do too. I guess I have an inner capitalist. How do you feel about that? Not good. Yeah. He tells her that it doesn't matter because they're leaving today. He's he's leaving and he's taking his daughter. Rita Sue calls his bluff saying, you don't even know how to begin to leave me. Yeah. This is where we start to have our disagreement. Because you're kind of on the, oh, Stumpy's delusional train. And I'm starting to see, oh, Rita Sue is abusive. Yeah, they're both abusive. Oh, okay. That's not news. Okay. Well, you didn't seem to be on that train yet, so. It's not good what they're doing. Rita Sue is acting out because this is how their relationship is. But also, she's really, really hurt. Yes. This isn't the right way to do it, but that's another reason why she's doing it. Next, we have Ben leading Gabriel to the water. Which I thought was nice because it shows that Gabe still trusts Ben. (laughs) I'm like, Gabe. Gabe, come on, hold a grudge. Just a, for a little while. Just a little bit of a grudge. You don't, it's been like 12 hours. You, you don't can, have to try to kill him or anything. You can still be mad. But you can be like, you hurt me. Right. I feel like Ben leading someone named Gabriel to water is religious, but I don't know enough about religious stories. I do not know of any Bens in the Bible. Oh, they also, I, re- I noticed, I don't know if you noticed, they have really nice fades. Oh, do them. they? Yes. Oh, excellent. Like whoever cuts their hair on point. Nice. Both of them. Great. So Ben takes Gabriel to the water and heals his arm. He tells Gabriel he cannot tell anyone about this. And Gabe's like, okay. (laughs) I'm like, Gabe, be a little, ask a question. (laughs) 
I don't know. I think at this point, I'm like, oh, you just healed my broken arm. You got it. Well, he says you can't tell anybody about this before he heals oh, his okay. arm. And Gabe's like, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, dude. All right. Gabe starts moving his now uninjured arm. And we hear and then see dozens of dead fish surfacing. This is interesting because Ben's starting to figure out how to get around. Yeah, he's he doesn't know that it'll ha- that it'll work a hundred percent, but he knows enough to walk far, far away. Get in some water. Yes, and then let the water absorb all of the death he's transferring. And there are just way too many CGI fish in this pond. CGI just... Well, I'm just saying the number of fish, that's too many. That's too dense. This is only like a three or four hectare lake. You don't know what a hectare is. (laughs) I know that there's only three or four of them here. (laughs) Rita Sue is sitting by the merry-go-round and Samson comes by. They exchange words and Rita Sue says she knows Stumpy when Samson says, I don't know, it looks like he's actually leaving. She's like, he's not leaving. Then they both apologize without apologizing for Babylon. And Samson lets her know that the guy isn't still walking around. Yeah, it's awfully nice of Samson to try to take the blame, even though he knows he's not to blame. Yes. Did you... So in this exchange, Rita Sue says something which leads to him saying, guy's not walking around. And it feels like he might be insinuating that Stumpy took care of it. And I can't remember what he said to make me think that she says what eats me up is the guy who did it still walking around samson said no he ain't Rita Sue sits up and looks at him and as samson turns around to walk away he says you can only know a man so much that's right that's what it was yeah i didn't take that as insinuating stumpy did it i think it was i stood up there and said no this ain't the way we don't do it like this but then i went back and topped him yeah the she had said earlier in that same conversation that she knows Stumpy. Yeah. So that's why I tied oh, that together. You know what? Because, no, I know I know him too well. I uh-huh. know he's not going to go do this. And Samson says, you can only know a yeah, man that's so a, much. Fucking never put that together. That is a good catch. That is, a, you might be right then. So I think he's leaving it to interpretation. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't think Samson wants them to leave either. You know what? You're pretty smart. Yeah, I'm paying attention to what they're saying. <laughs> Good job. You're smart cookie. And the another reason that I I put those two together and then Rita Sue's face is like, maybe I am, hmm, maybe hmm. I have something else to think about. So I think all of that aligns. We see Sophie packing her bags. Obviously, her mother is not thrilled, but Sophie is set to leave. Even though we all know they're not gonna leave. Yeah. Damn, Soph. How are you in this much denial? Because you know you're not gonna leave. This is a weird place for her to be. Because of course she wants to leave, but she knows she can't leave. I... Oh! Oh. She knows she can't leave, but this is the only way that she can have that power play. She can pretend that she's going to leave without actually having any consequences because she knows she's not actually going anywhere this is the wrong person to have that power play with though someone who could see the future her mom yeah it's the only person that she can have it with it's i think it's the only person she can't have it with she's struggling because she's so tied to yeah her parents libby's tied to her parents and they're super codependent so is sophie and apollonia right but it's like even an extra layer deep So I think this is the only way that Sophie can act out. You might be right about that, but I think that this is the wrong target for that. Why would an 18-year-old 
stop to consider how useless this struggle is. Because you've known your entire life that your mom's in your head and knows the future. You are thinking about this like a 45-year-old. You are not thinking about this as a teenager. It's futile, but it's all she has. She knows she's never going to be able to leave Apollonia. So why not play at it sometimes? Okay. She gave she gave up her pretty dress. She can't go play in town anymore. <laughs> Maybe she can borrow Libby's pretty dress. Because Libby is dressed so nice in this car. She is. She looks wonderful. <laughs> she really does. She is ready for Hollywood. Yep. I don't think she realizes how big Texas is. She's going to no. be <laughs> So Texas. sweaty. She's going to be in Texas for the next 17 days. <laughs> So Sophie gets in the car and um, Libby is all excited. She's all dolled up, like you said. She's she's ready. Stumpy's got his little hat on. He's ready. He starts the car. He Every puts the car in gear. Yes, he is pumped. Everybody's pumped. They're all going to go. And then Stumpy looks in the rearview mirror and sees Rita Sue. And now that you made your comment about Rita Sue rethinking some things, because she was just sitting on the carousel. I think if her and Samson don't have that conversation and she doesn't get up to make sure that she's seen. He leaves. I think he leaves. But seeing her, he... That's when he crumbles. Man, I'm glad you mentioned that about what Samson said to her and her taking it as Felix. Ooh, good stuff. Yeah, it really deepens it and makes yeah. it so messy and complicated. Yeah, because if he doesn't see her in the rear view... He might have just gone. I think he leaves. And if Samson hadn't said that to her, I don't think she stands up to make herself seen. I don't either. Oh, man. Woo! Yeah. And I so taking this one step further, I think Samson knows. No. But why? Why would he want to keep them Sophie? He definitely wants to keep Sophie. Management wants to keep Sophie. Yeah. Management wants to keep Sophie, so he has to keep Sophie. Sophie's in the car. Yeah. It would be better for Samson to have his full coot show. Definitely would be, but... I think he could replace them. Yeah, I think he can rebound. Because he's been working without them for two weeks now. Yeah. Hmm. That's very interesting. You think Samson did that on purpose to get them to not go? I think he knew, he knows the Dreyfuses enough to know how they work or don't work together so he knows that he had to connect all of those dots wow that'd be devious i don't know if samson's that devious if you were to say management pushed him into doing it right i don't know that so devious i don't know is the right word because if his ultimate goal is to keep sophie there because management said under no circumstances can sophie leave samson's following orders again but if Samson was behind it by himself, then it's, no, then I don't, it's devious. I don't know that Samson would be behind it on his own because right. he would be like, yeah, I don't want Sophie to leave because she's been here her entire life. But also, I'll figure it out. I always do. Very interesting. That's a brand new spin on this. the end of this episode for me. And I wish it ended here, but yeah. it doesn't. Ugh, yeah. So Stumpy gets out of the car Libby is so distraught. She's calling for him. She says he promised they were leaving. He, he just walks away dejected saying, maybe tomorrow, baby, maybe tomorrow. And we know it's not tomorrow. Everybody knows at this point. Everybody. So Sophie jumps in. She's like, I can still do this. I can still save this. She jumps into the front seat and she's like, I got it. And Libby says, daddy doesn't like anybody else driving his car. And it's like, 
Oh, shit. Brutal. Ugh. Absolutely brutal. And then she gets out. And the only person left in the Dreyfus's car is Sophie. And she should have just left. And then that's just Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> but honestly, this is the time to do it. You could go, what, two towns over and no one will ever find you? <laughs> sure would like to get that car back. <laughs> Lila sees Gabriel and Ben walking back to the Midway. And she goes to tell Lowe's. She's thrilled and she's saying, oh, so he's done this. He's healed Gabe all by himself. And Lodes loses it and starts beating her. I think this is my least favorite thing in the entire series. I think it was a mistake. I think it's crowbarred in there because the dialogue is so clunky. I think we have a case of Lodes is supposed to be a bad guy, but everybody likes Lodes. So we have to make him do something. Everybody but Kristen likes loads. No accounting for taste, I guess. There is accounting for taste. I like Ruthie. I also like Ruthie. And loads. If he wasn't in an episode, I probably wouldn't notice. <laughs> I think he's a great character. I really like him. I think this was one of those unfortunate moments where, well, we have to make the bad guy unlikable. Like when Spike assaulted Buffy in season six. I'm really curious to see if this ever is referenced again because in the next episode it's not they make up yeah i don't believe it is i don't believe it's ever touched on again it doesn't make any sense no, and I, you're right the dialogue's so clunky it's like they did one pass at it shot it wedged it in the episode yeah i don't like it no and it's so short next, serves no purpose we're back we're at the final scene we're in minton justin calls iris oh, i love this scene another very short scene with this scene is really good. She knows it's him, and all he's... She, where are you, Justin? Where are you? And he says, you always knew what was inside of me. And then he hangs up. Oh, that's not ominous at all. I love it. We get the closing shot of the children that we saw tormenting Justin earlier, but we're smart viewers and didn't need this framed picture in Iris's house to know that that's who they were referencing. Those two children with a random preacher? I think who it's knows their, who that could be? I think it's their evil dad. Their evil dad. Oh, I see. Who do you think it is? It's Norman. Oh, was it Norman? It's, yeah, it's definitely Norman. I guess that would make sense. I was like, ah, his, their evil dad was also in A Man of the Cloth. Uh, no, because uh, their mom said they can only trust a man of God. Not they can't trust a man of God. That makes sense. Okay. Guess I didn't. Look. I was too busy catching you, all of the other stuff. <laughs> yeah, you were too busy nailing that scene with uh, Rita Sue and Samson, so you can take a pass on it. <laughs> it was poignant, and I was like, I am here for this. You nailed it. For this. Everyone should, I was going to say everyone should take a bow, but no. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. Oh, that's what you would like? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> everyone in the world can take a bow, and you can just watch. It'll be great. Good job, everybody. We did it. Yay. <laughs> Something else we can do? We can I'll possibly, maybe we could all listen to an emo song. Yes. If so you have one that you'd like us to listen to. I do. I have one from 2002. While, not too much. While we are bowing. Yes. Not too much before this episode dropped. So probably while they were shooting it. <laughs> <laughs> it's from a band called Piebald. It's called American Hearts. And I selected it because everyone needs a change but they have to make it happen themselves. Ooh. It's pretty much what this episode was, wow. was doing. You really are smart. <laughs> so from Emma Garland, I found, you know, a little blurb about this to let you 
since you're not going to listen to it, we'll let you know. <laughs> sure I am. American Hearts is an emo rarity in that it looks outward, hinged on an interaction between a narrator bemoaning economic inequality and a guy washing windows for a tenor. It's a simple and wry reminder that changing the way a society works means actually being involved in it. Sense of community in music often comes through a shared set of sociopolitical values or the experience of something that can feel isolating. Heartbreak, grief, depression. Another reason why I brought this up. But American Hearts takes a moment to step outside itself. It's hopeful and relatively impersonal, gesturing toward what can be gained rather than dwelling on what has already been lost. So I felt that was a good direction for everybody to start <laughs> looking in. It's ironic, considering Piebald never, ne never neatly aligned with any one scene, but American Hearts is one of the most unifying entries to the emo catalog, reminding those who didn't create the rules that they have the power to change them. Makes sense. Snaps. <laughs> yeah. You ready for next week? I am. I don't remember what it is at all. You've already watched it, so. Yep. We'll see. See you then. The Rotating Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed, edited by Dave Reed. Thanks for being here, and if you enjoyed the episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. Please go to Apple Podcasts and give us five stars. Tell us that we are fighting the righteous battle in podcasting good and evil. That old-time religion. That old-time podcast religion. Or, even easier, tell people about us. It really helps us out. You can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at CastFiles. We also auto-post to YouTube, if that's your streaming service of choice, or if you like closed captions. And finally, email us at therotatingcastfiles at gmail.com. 